Hello and welcome to my almost midlife crisis where we discuss what makes life so friggin' weird. Alright, I'm joined today by the one and only Josh Colnitis, uh, owner of Co-Host. I want to tell tell us what uh, Co-Host is. Yeah, so, so Co-Host is my, uh, it's an Airbnb property management company. So we specialize in taking fully furnished rental properties and pretty much listing them on the short-term market. So Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAdvisor, AAA, all those kind of things. We do like a done-for-you solution to where you as the homeowner pretty much hand over the keys. We take over from start to finish, deal with guests, turnovers, uh, pain points, maintenance, stuff like that, everything that has to go into it. So as a homeowner, you're very uninvolved. It's pretty cool. And how long have you been doing that? So we've been, I've been doing that probably since like 2018 when I first moved out to Colorado, but we've been taking other clients because I was really just doing it for myself, right? That's kind of how the whole thing was birthed and then started taking on other clients once other people wanted to get involved and kind of have their property also managed uh, for the last like year. So it really hasn't been super long that it's been like a public company. Okay. So you started off with just your own your own homes that you were renting out? How many did you start with? Yeah, so I just started with the one. When I first moved out here, I was going through a divorce at the time. I, uh, I bought a house and didn't live in it. I actually took all the stuff from my marriage and put it into this house <laughs> and then lived in the mountains with some other guys and uh, had a bunch of roommates and stuff and really just had like a bed set up there and everything else I furnished this house with. So I had an empty house sitting with a whole bunch of furniture and you know utensils and everything was furnished this home. And uh, it was really just a place for my parents and my family and friends to come visit and stay. So they had a house to live in when they were here. But uh, that ended up just turning into, well, while they're not here, why don't I rent it out? And then from there, it grew into then being Airbnb full time and then eventually building a, a cleaning team around it and a maintenance team and stuff. And then that you know grew into what began taking on other clients and doing it for other people. So super wild. Wild transition, wild uh, process for sure. Yeah, what uh, what brought you out to Colorado in what, four or five years ago? Yeah, so I was active duty, military. <laughs> I, I went to Michigan State, graduated college in 2013, and then uh, immediately started active duty, went down to Georgia, did uh, my first like officer training program that was down there, uh, went to a school called Ranger School, did airborne stuff, and then ended up in North Carolina for my first location, deployed once out of there. And then went back to Georgia, and then from Georgia came out to Colorado. So, kind of the active duty military thing took me all around. I never really was into investing really heavily other than just like putting stuff in mutual funds uh, until I got out here and kind of went through that divorce and then was like, here we go, let's just start <laughs> dumping money into all sorts of things and taking risks that I don't think I ever would have otherwise. Interesting. So you think it was just kind of the... Uh divorce that really set you on the path of being more of a risk taker yeah i mean that's that definitely started it right because there's always i i am very firm in the belief that there has to be some sort of uh some sort of changing event right in your life it's usually caused by pain or loss you know something is taken away or removed from your life and that kind of puts you in a place where you're like okay enough like i've i've had enough living like this now it's time to do what I've always wanted to, right? Or do something different. So that divorce was kind of like a uh, forcing function, I think, for me to kind of let go of some stuff in my past and really just be like, you know what? I don't have anything holding me back now. Here's the next step. Here's what I want to do now. And that's why I started, you know, then I bought the house and started moving forward. So I, I find that as a blessing in that event. Um, there were There were things down the road, right, that continue to happen. It's kind of funny. I think most of my entrepreneurial ventures all start with some sort of breakup <laughs> which is I don't know what that has to say about anything but uh it's very interesting because I can kind of look at like four major relationships in my life and then what followed immediately after like that breakup was like some weird explosion of a new adventure in life that has just led to like an amazing thing uh, all right can we can we go through those <laughs> yeah <laughs> So the first one was the divorce, right? So the marriage. So I met her when I was in college. We ended up, uh, found out she was doing some stuff on the side. Came out to Colorado by myself. Started out with the house. That kind of preset buying real estate, I'll say. 
So that, that started my real estate game, right? Then after that, I had a, uh, another girl, she was an Air Force girl, awesome person. And after that breakup, that really kind of led me into the, I'm probably going to get out of the army and I'm going to start, you know, like rehabbing real estate, rehabbing homes and stuff. And uh, that, w- that was a very interesting one. I, I learned a lot after that breakup, the second one. Uh, and it just it forced me into a new phase of life. Then I ended up uh, getting deployed one last time. That was kind of like the final straw. I was dating a girl during this second deployment. And uh, this is the third relationship. And after her, then I started buying, I set myself this goal of buy a piece of real estate a year. So after her breakup, it was kind of like, okay, what's the next house? Like now I was looking at just like, <laughs> but my solution became buy real estate every time something happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A good hobby, right? A good thing to get into. It's a good pain point. So started getting into that. And then I would say most recently. So then after that, I spent like two and a half years of just being alone, not, not getting involved in anything, just staying totally by myself. Uh, mess around with trying to start a couple different companies. I had like this weird cooking company that I was all about <laughs> trying to start. Um, I started, I got super heavy into trying to start like a digital media agency to where I was like doing advertising and marketing and stuff for companies. Uh, and that never really took off or did anything. So I had a couple failed ventures. Uh, the cooking one, I didn't dump too much money into, which was fine. Uh, but I did with the digital media agency and if you know anything about the space it can get very expensive very quick because it's marketing dollars so you can dump i mean i, I probably put thirty, forty thousand dollars into that within a month and uh it really it really didn't end up going anywhere i think i hung on to that as long as i could have and then kind of re- realized i needed to let it go but uh but yeah and then i, I really just kind of honed in on real estate man i had some people that were interested wanted to get involved with me um on a deal so that kind of made it a little bit more real right when you start taking other people's money then you know, things get a little more serious and you start having a regular responsibility of making sure you're crossing your T's, dotting your I's and doing everything the right way. It's not just you anymore, right? You have somebody else's money at stake too. So that, you know, really helped me kind of shore it up and realize that this is going to be something a little bit more serious. Um, around that same time, I really, I opened up co-host to other clients, to external clients, right? So I started, I hired on a uh, chief operations officer. So somebody in charge of like all operations uh, I brought on like a cleaning staff. I started building a maintenance team. So I started doing a lot more stuff with co-hosts that built the infrastructure so that I could take on clients, right? And that was kind of my first step towards a business. I'd never actually owned a business, never started a business. I'd been in the army, so I knew right. foundational structure of a business, but I never really understood what it meant to hire people and how to bring people in and how to train them and how to teach your vision to somebody else because that's trying to train somebody to do what you do but like to teach them to do it just as good is dude that is hard like tough tough work just figuring out like what that person's good at trying to understand strengths weaknesses how you can take their strengths and then make it part of that like puzzle it's just it's a very interesting like complex situation you have to solve yeah that that is definitely a a big challenge and i think a lot of business owners run into that and i think that a lot of business owners that I've come across, they assign the differences that they have with uh, people that they hire, uh, and they they assign that to them not uh, taking ownership in the business the same way. Right. So, uh, would you say you know people that you've brought on, uh, you know, do you do you find that they take ownership in the business, or, or do you see that they just they view it more as a job, or how do you balance? Yeah. There's there's some interesting depth, I think, to that question. It's definitely not like a one-sided thing because one of the struggles that I have, not knowing or having any experience, right? I don't have any family that's owned business. I don't have any like cousins or friends or anybody really in my like childhood that I grew up with um, that knows anything about business. Everything, everything I know now today, are people that I've met or people that I'm that are like mentor me that have come into my life that know business, right? So it's all like new people, new relationships, and try and bounce as much as I can off of them to understand, but I have a really hard time with knowing how to pay people, how to incentivize people. I come from a, like a military background, right? Everybody's salary. You work like slave labor. Like you could be there at 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. 
and then you could stay late because the track fell off the tank and now you got to get the new one on and it's like a three-hour process and now here you are at 10 11 o'clock at night just walking in the door trying to do your laundry and then go to sleep so you can wake up for physical training the next morning you know so like i'm used to like this really weird salaried slave labor type pay structure which when you're starting as an entrepreneur i didn't know how to like translate that at <laughs> sure, all yeah. to like a, to the to a new startup or a new business because you don't have the money that the federal government does federal government can pay whatever they want right, right. so when you get to start your own business and you're trying to like put people on salary because airbnb right i'm thinking guests are going to be asking questions in the middle of the night they're going to be needing help on off hours like it's not going to be a typical like nine to five thing it'll be some random random stuff outside of those windows so i'm like so they have to be salaried they have to be able to work whenever dude you just like you can't do that it's it does <laughs> not work unless you're making the money to support it like it's just like learning the value of putting somebody hourly how that works how you're going to record those hours how you're going to have like supervisors check on those hours to make sure that they're verified and actually doing the work that they're supposed to that's a whole like that's a whole thing that I just never imagined I would have to be like dealing with or trying to learn or anything, but it makes a huge difference. Being able to understand that is a massive deal. And if you don't know how to do it, you have to find somebody that's specialized in that or knows and has enough experience to like, hey, here's how people should be paid. Here's the structure. Here's how you're gonna record these hours. Here's how you're gonna like verify these hours. Here's who's gonna approve these hours. Right. Like all of these different layers to everything that if you just don't know it, you get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah, that'll make sense. Yeah. So, coming from the military where it's hyper-structured, yes. you, you know, in, in Colorado Springs, there's a lot of military, and it seems like when people get out of the military, they do one of two things. They either become, they just shed the whole thing, right, and they go yep. entrepreneur, they pull in, start their own business, or self-employed, usually yeah. it's real estate, right, whatever. Uh or, or they sell insurance. Or they sell insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Those horrible people. Um, or the other option is they uh, become a contractor, right? They will go work at some other basically military company, yeah, like they, Lockheed right. or GS or whatever. Yep. Um, so one, why do you? What, what do you think? Why do you think that is? That people they basically fall into. They either continue going the same way or they just break it completely. And would you have guessed? yourself you know to be the kind to go the way you have given you said growing up you weren't this way yeah so i mean i guess would you know the 18 year old version of you who just enrolled in rotc at michigan state be sure. surprised that you're that you bucked it and went self-employed uh yeah i don't know I, I don't know if i could ever predict i'd be where i'm at right now um uh, but I'll, i mean i'll answer that in two parts so the first part how, what makes people stay in that contracting position honestly i think it's just like the comfort with the space i mean I, uh, I did reserve status after my active duty time for like a year, year and a half, I think. And everybody in the reserve world was their full-time employment position was with some sort of government contractor, Lockheed, Northrop Grumman, Harris, you know, right. somebody. And it was, it was weird because I think what it is, is I know I have a stable job because I can transition over to this company that always hires military and has a really good reputation with the military. And it pays very similar to what the military pays. So it's like, you have all this like same it's the same kind of thing just in a different world so right. it's it's it, it's almost no change which is i guess what ties a lot of people to it and that's what it would have tied me to it right if i would have if i would have just gotten out and done that um because i mean i came from think about it right i come from a middle class family i come from my father his father uh his dad before him was an immigrant you know it's just like everybody does this middle class lifestyle where you you grow up you go to high school you maybe go to college, but then you get a job, right? And you work that job for 40 years until you're 60, 65, and then you retire. And, that, and then you spend, you know, 15 years in retirement, and then you die. And that's like the story of my life is right. my whole family, everybody in my family is that way. So when everybody you know does that, it's kind of like what you default fall into. Right. So it's interesting to like break out of that. But I think that's why probably a lot of people just answered that first one. That's probably why a lot of people I think stay in that contracting space just because that's what they know. It's what the family knows. It's what they've all been taught. They stay in this world. They don't get any exposure outside. So they don't do it. Now, 
what brought me to where I'm at, geez, I honestly, like I said, a lot of things I think the first change in your life is as a result of some sort of hardship or loss. And uh, I would say, for some reason, relationships are super tied into my life. And albeit not in a relationship, I still somehow find myself <laughs> making all these massive transitions based on them. And I think uh, just having those series of things happen the way they did kind of pushed me through different doors. And it was kind of like that throw it to the wind. Like, I got nothing else to worry about now. Let's sure. do this. And I kind of was able to take those leaps because I think otherwise, right, I'd end up with probably kids. I'd probably have a house with a wife. And, you know, who knows? I'd be where you're at, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, as it turns out, it's really yeah. hard to yeah. uh, go self-employed after you have a wife and kids. Yeah, it's just yeah. It's a change. It's a change in stability. You have to be able to take risk. I think uh, getting into like a little bit of philosophy on what Josh thinks on things, but yeah, I think really the the means to success and what changes like somebody that like makes really really good money, you know, does like Elon Musk level stuff, or somebody that just lives, you know, like my father, you know, middle class lifestyle with very little risk, but very stable and you know has a family and a house and all that stuff. I think the biggest difference is just risk, your risk tolerance. How much risk are you willing to take? The more risk you take, I think the more success you inevitably see. Everybody everybody asks that question, right? They're like, right. hey, what's the secret to success? Honestly, I think it's your, your ability to take risk. So I've asked this question before. Um, I guess it's not really a question, but it's, it's more of a, a thought. Like, yeah. Yes, you have to be able to take risk, and you have to be able to stick with it and, and um, withstand the risk right yep but what about like how many people do you think are out there that just kept taking risk and never succeeded yeah like and, uncalculated risk yeah well yeah. so the the example that i use is how many really good singers are living in nashville right now mm -hmm. still waiting for their big break it's been 10 years and they're still playing thursday night at the bar right like how long is it appropriate to chase that dream how long is it appropriate for you to continue taking risk before it's like all right this is clearly not going to work. Yeah. No, I think that's a good question because there's, I mean, think about it, right? There's um, it just, I'm just kind of looking at my own timeline. After I got out of the military, I did stuff with Northwestern. And then from there, I had, think about the things I tried. I took, let's say, forty to $60,000 worth of risk trying to start a <laughs> cooking company. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, sorry, a cooking company. And then the, uh, the advertising agency, like, I mean, I took some risk. It didn't work out. Right. I was doing this, the sing, the Nashville singer lifestyle. Sure. And it just wasn't for me. It wasn't what I needed to do. It took me trying other things, realizing those things weren't going to work before I came back to the thing that I already had going, co-host, and then being like, oh, yeah, I should just do this. <laughs> like, sure. this is making the money. And then just doing that. I had a lot of people tell me, like, hey, just do what is making money. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not the cooking company. That's not the it's not the advertising agency. I'm like, co-host is making money, but I didn't I had no way in seeing how I could scale that or how I could build a company and business around it and stuff. So I like I constantly ignored it. I'm like, no, that's not the solution. That's not the solution. Sure. So finally I, you know, dumped so much and watched everything plummet into these other things. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll take somebody's advice that might know what they're talking about. And I did this and then, you know, it ended up working out. But so what do you think drove you to taking those risks? And I really want to ask, so do you cook? Is that like a thing that you do? What's... I, yeah, that, I think that was, that was probably one of those post breakup things, right? That was like, <laughs> yeah, oh. Yeah, we I... never did get the fourth, the, the fourth breakup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that was like a post breakup thing with the, uh, we, we enjoyed spending time together cooking and stuff, you know, and that's like a, a cool intimate moment where two people can be together. You can, you know, spend time in the kitchen, listening to music, drinking wine. And, you know, just cooking. Wine always ends up in the cooking somehow. So that's why wine's always, in there. Yeah. <laughs> so that I think that's where that really, like, stemmed from. And I thought, what a cool way to build a really cool community around teaching people how to cook different dishes with, you know, known um, chefs in the city and bringing people with like interests, you know, together. So, I mean, it's I spend a lot of time with somebody that I date in the kitchen. So I think I you could find other people that would want to do the same thing. So kind of where that came from again from another breakup so it's interesting how those things came but yeah it was just like the wrong place wrong time and i think everything just guides you back to where you're supposed to be at some point so why do you why do you think those two companies failed 
and why his co-host work. Yeah, I and I kind of ask myself this, you know, all the time too, because it's like, what is it? Are you passionate about it, and that's why it worked? Are you uh, just naturally gifted at it, and that's why it worked? Like, what is it? Like, what is the thing? What's the secret sauce? Because the the cooking company, right? It was a Tipsy Chef. Tipsy Chef was great. I was passionate about it. I enjoyed it. All this stuff. I guess I didn't know enough about the space and I didn't know what needed to be, what needed to go into it. And, uh, I guess maybe I didn't have enough passion. I enjoyed like the task or the thing, but I guess maybe I didn't have enough passion actually about, uh, we'll say cooking in general, like somebody that would need to run or start up that company would same thing with the, the advertising agency. I just, I saw it as a very lucrative, very low overhead type business. So I thought it would be a really good solution to get into something like that. And I just, I had no passion for it. Not it's, but then, okay. So then that asks the question, are you passionate about co-hosts? Are you passionate about Airbnbs (laughs) and short-term rentals and dealing with the pain in the ass guests? I can't uh, figure out how to open a door, you know, those kind of things. (laughs) I'm really not like, I'm really not passionate about that. What I am passionate though, I think about with the real estate side is showing, so showing the average homeowner that they can make money with a rental property that they probably never knew they could make and just kind of opening that door for them, opening the door that, Hey, the average, average person can do this too. You know, it's not just something that you have to be some real estate investor or some uh, real estate mogul to know how to rent real estate and make a, a bunch of money, especially using Airbnb as a platform. Like anybody can do it. It's, it's not hard. And I think I find a lot of joy in showing that and being successful with that for people. Interesting. Yeah. So, question, if I, let's say, let's use my house for example, let's say I knew I was going to be gone for three weeks yeah. on a vacation or something like that, would I be able to call you and say, hey, I'm going to be gone for three weeks, can you rent out my house for one of them or two of them, or how does that work, or does it have to be a dedicated full-time rental for you, or how does that work? So, it, the few weeks wouldn't really be worth the time, at least for us to come in and do it, because we'd have to do, the amount of setup and stuff we'd have to do for the home uh, would be a little bit more than you'd probably even make in those three weeks. Right. So like we, we would come in and we, we install a suite of anywhere from like 2000 to $3,000 of just equipment, like smart equipment, door locks, noise sensors, all that stuff. Interesting. Yeah. So there's, there's a pretty hefty like startup and then not to mention you got linens and all the cleaning you got to do and staging and you, there's a lot you have to do to get the property set in order to have other guests come in and that's where you know we don't take clients unless they're at like a certain standard and the standard is you know you got to have certain set of bowls and plates and cups and all the things that people need stuff has to be working linens have to be all be the same so there's there's different things it wouldn't really make sense in that regard now if you were like hey i'm i'm moving back wherever to for six months sure right in that regard yeah absolutely that's where we would come in we could totally set everything up take care of it all manage the place, send you your checks over those six months, and then when you come back, like, the house is still the way it was. Everything's here for you, and it's kind of like you didn't miss a beat, but you made all that money while you are gone. Sure, okay. So it makes sense for, like, a snowbird or something like that. Right. Okay. Yep, absolutely. So it doesn't have to be a dedicated Okay, so how many employees do you have now? Or, I guess, employees, contractors, how many people are working for you at Co-Host? Uh, so at co-host, just at co-host, I, we have about, um, it's funny cause we actually just went through a hiring and firing sweepstakes, if you will. But I think we're at eight, eight or nine people right now. And how many properties are you managing? So we're right around 23, 24 properties. I think I just got a text before I walked in here. We got somebody else just signed up again. So, um, it's, it's constantly changing, you know, every week we're adding a client or two. So it's, it's just growing now, which is really nice, but about 23. That's really cool. Yeah. I didn't know you had that many. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. What, uh, where are they? Are you, are you just in Colorado? Uh, what's the location? Yeah. So we are right now we're in Colorado and Utah. We have clients in Utah as well. That's cool. Yep. And, uh, here in a month, we are sending a team out to Texas. They're going to go, uh, San Antonio. Okay. is where they're going to start. So there's some interest there right now with a few people that want to uh, have some walkthroughs and stuff. So we're going to have to send a team out there and uh, see if we can pick up some clients there. And then we'll build a team kind of out in San Antonio and then kind of see where the expansion really goes from there. But that'll kind of be like the next the next market that I think we tap into is something in Texas. Interesting. 
Yeah. Okay. So you said there's some interest from people who want to do some walkers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How did those people find you? Are you currently advertising? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So that's so we're really not, which is kind of interesting, right? Because again, I just started by me doing this for myself. And then by word of mouth, some other people found out and they wanted, you know, my team to then take on their properties. And it kind of spread from there. We, you know, we have a website, we have some other stuff going on. But one of the things I haven't done yet is marketing. Um, I haven't I haven't built a sales force. It's really just been myself and then my directions officer, uh, Morgan, who had been doing most of the sales calls and everything. And I it's really interesting how we've grown the way we have just by referrals and word of mouth and how people in Texas find out about us. You know, it's like, how do you guys, well, we were looking for Airbnb. We Googled your name came up. I'm like, that's wild. Cause in the SEO work, everything that I've done, it's all been for Colorado. We've done a little bit in Utah now where we've added some of the backend SEO stuff to target those two markets, but really nothing in any other state or market or anything else. So it's, it's very unique how things work and how stuff spreads, but uh, but marketing is going to be definitely one of the next things that we do. So we just started uh, last week onboarding with an entire marketing uh, team, kind of building that out, and then from there, once we start getting enough leads in, you know, then it's building a sales team and a sales force so that they can answer the phone calls and kind of get leads through the process onto our calendar so we can start onboarding. So there there is a there is a plan that's now in place to start doing that, but. We had a bunch of foundational work to do, sure. right? A bunch of operations things that we had to put in place. So we have a pretty robust team now that can handle a, a pretty sizable expansion. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's – it's good that you have a plan. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned some of the SEO stuff that you do, uh, search engine optimization. Yeah. Um, do you do all of that yourself? Is that something that you yeah. kind of learned how to do when you were dabbling with the, the marketing mm-hmm. company? Exactly. Is that like, yeah. Well, were you able to, I guess, were you able to take those lessons that you learned from the failed company and at mm-hmm. least apply it to yourself? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's really kind of, I think what's gotten me so far to where I'm at is because I, I learned so much from trying to do it for other people in that marketing agency that I was able to practice on myself. And as a result, the company's kind of reaping a little bit of those rewards right now. So the little bit of like self-taught work that I've done, all the training and stuff. Um, I went through, you have to go through like a Facebook, like ads buyer program to get certified and yep. ad buying and stuff. So like I've done all that. So I do know enough about ads to be dangerous. That's why I think maybe we haven't really done too much in marketing yet. Sure. But the, the big thing now, it gets to the point where it's like, Hey, do you, do you have the time to do it? Cause it can be time intensive, right? Trying to build everything and put it all together. So now it's just being able to hire an entire agency to do all that stuff for you, take up all that time because it's very time consuming. Man, if you had to do marketing, building ads and campaigns and writing all the texts and all that stuff for yourself, whew, gets busy. Yeah. Writing collateral is <laughs> – writing copy is so hard. Oh, yeah. It's – yeah. I I dabbled with uh, doing a marketing company a couple of years ago. Yeah. Just a digital ads eight, eight companies. Everybody's doing it, man. Yeah. That's the thing, yeah. <laughs> it was I, mean, I I spent very, very little time and even less money trying to do this. So it's That's not good. that big of a deal. That's but good. yeah. But I, I did become Google AdWords certified and all nice. that stuff. So yep. Yeah, I yep. likewise know uh, a just a couple of things. Yeah, exactly. Um Okay, so your so your company co host, would you consider this a successful company? Ooh. That's a good question. Where did that come from? It's 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 one of my favorite ones to ask. Actually, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. You clearly haven't listened to uh, all my not all podcasts. Of them, no. Yeah, it's the it's what I ask everybody. Okay. No, so honestly, right now where I'm at, I wouldn't call it successful, and I wouldn't call it successful because I don't think I can walk away today and have it totally operate on its own. Like if I were to sell it, for example, it uh, so it operates by itself with me absent. However, there's no reason for somebody to buy it where it's at right now because I'm not taking a paycheck which is a big deal. I think you need, to, in order to have a marketable product or something you can sell, you need to be able to one, walk away and somebody else can essentially step in without any knowledge experience and have to do anything. They just get the paycheck. Okay. And two is then it has to be able to pay whoever it is that's buying it. Cause why would you buy an investment if it's not going to do anything? Right? right. No one, no one does that. It's, you're not buying real estate for nothing. Like you're buying it for the appreciation. If you rent it out, you're buying it for the, 
rental income. So you have to be able to kind of treat it the same way. It's got to be able to operate on its own and then it has to be able to pay you as well. So a co-host does not do that right now. Now, some of the other businesses I have do, which is really a big deal and that's something I love, but uh, co-host right now, it operates on its own. So it does that. Like I can walk away, I could die today and it still would run, function, grow and do everything it needs to just because I, I have the right people in place, which right. has been a, a task in and, itself, in and of itself to try and build but uh, but it doesn't pay me right now as the owner. I'm not taking a, a paycheck. Sure. So I have rental income coming in, right, because I have some of my real estate and stuff's in there. Yeah. Um, I'm getting paychecks in other ways. But to say that co-host cutting the owner a check, it's, it's really not right now. Okay. So that's a big deal. Would there be a, a, an amount? I mean, what if you could pay yourself, you know, minimum wage, right? Right. Whatever that equivalent is, I think in Colorado it's yeah. – yeah so i think if you could do uh 15 hours 15 dollars an hour for 40 hours a week that comes out to about 2400 dollars a month and i think if you could pay yourself 2400 dollars a month uh take taxes out it's about two grand a month that's that's a base i think that needs to be your base 31,200 is uh, 15 dollars an hour for a full year so there you go there you go okay okay yeah so i think that's probably the minimum that you need to hit Ideally, you could put yourself on salary, which Colorado's minimum salary is like $3,100 a month. It's like eight fifty six a week. Hmm. Yeah, fun employment law. I'm learning yeah. a whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> trust are. me. Yeah. But yeah, so I think if you could put yourself on a salary, legal salary, that would be great. And then, of course, if you can get to the point where you're offering benefits, because then you're paying two to $400 per employee that's uh, for their benefits and stuff on group life and health and dental, uh, vision and all that stuff. So if you can get to the point where you can start offering, you know, benefits, 401k stuff, um, maybe even a sign-on bonus, and you can still pay yourself a salary, then then I think you're you're at a really really strong point where you can sell probably a, a seven-figure business. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned some of the other companies that you have. What other mm-hmm. what other ways are you bringing in money right now? Yeah. So I have so I have one company that focuses just on acquiring real estate. So. We go in, we pull, you know, investors and stuff together, and then we go in, we will buy the real estate, rehab the real estate, and then we will refinance it, pull the cash out, pay everyone off, and then we just take the rental income. So it's, we acquire real estate, fix it up, and then rent it with co-hosts coming in and managing it, and then we rent the property. So it's kind of like, it's a, it's a cool pool of investors that buy real estate, um, and that one's called Expert Capital. And then I have another company, which kind of just fell into as a lifestyle. But uh, if you ever heard of F45, the fitness studios? Yes. Yeah. It's, so it's it's an Australian, uh, it's an Australian like boutique fitness uh, brand. The franchise started in Australia. They expanded from there. Um, there's a lot of cool like uh, celebrities and stuff that endorsed it, especially bringing it over to America. But it's basically a group fitness setting where you have personal trainers that are in there. You're training in a group setting. You have anywhere from 20 to 30 to, I guess, depends on the studio size. You could have 40 people in the class. But there's just screens across one, one end of the classroom. And then there's different stations throughout the, throughout the class. And each station is corresponding to, to a looped video that's on the screen in the front of the room. And it, the whole class is designed for you, right? There's time sequences and stuff. So if you can imagine you're at station one, you're doing curls. You're looking at the screen, the guy's doing curls. So you're doing what he's doing. There's a little timer. It's counting down 30 seconds. Then you stop doing curls and it has a 20-second rest period. And then, you know, you start again. You do the same thing and it'll tell you when to switch stations and move throughout the room. And uh, it's, it's a really cool idea. Like the one thing I love about it is it's designed for you. The workouts are put together for you. So you can show up, turn your brain off do a hard workout. It's, it's 45 minutes and then you're done. So you're not there for an hour, two, three hours, you know, like you walk into some big box gym, you got no organization. People are sitting on the bench taking their sweet ass time, right? You, you could end up being there for hours before you get like a decent workout. in. whereas F45, you show up, the workouts pre-planned for you. You know, if you're showing up to leg day or cardio day or a chest day or whatever, you're going to get all these different stations are going to work the different functional fitness groups that go for each muscle group or whatever that focus is for the day. And then you're done at 45 minutes. So it's, it's really cool. I think it's a great like solution. I love that. I don't have to worry about building a workout. I show up, I'm done at 45 minutes. I've got a great lift in and 
I feel good. So to come back to that, <laughs> I was wondering where you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This? Do you own it? What's going on <laughs> so, so F forty five. I started going to this gym uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. I came back here to Colorado Springs. Found that there were a couple of these studios. Started going to them here. Um, the owner is uh, she's a practicing OBGYN, and she wanted to go back into medicine. So she just approached me and she said, "Hey, I know you're a big like investor and uh, you buy businesses and run a bunch of businesses and stuff." And I'm looking at selling the studios and going back into medicine. So would this be something that you're interested in? So I knew she owned two of the studios here in the Springs. So I uh, took her up on the deal. Yeah. So do you you bought both of them? Yep. So I own. I so I own two F45. Huh. Yeah. Studios. You know, I think my mom goes to one of those. <laughs> Does she? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's funny. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it's it's cool, right? It's not. Um, like I say, fitness isn't something I'm passionate about, but it's more of a lifestyle thing, right? Sure. It's not like it's not like real estate or fixing homes. It's something that I do part of my daily routine. Okay. So it's it's cool to not not only do I not pay to do that now, yeah. but I also get paid to do that. Sure, which is really nice. Okay, so you are okay, using your definition of successful business. Yeah, right? the F45 was obviously successful because. Yeah. Yeah, were, the previous owner was able to sell it, yep. and you were able to step in and immediately start earning money. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, so that leaves expert capital. Is that currently a successful business? That's interesting because no, I couldn't walk away from expert capital, and it would continue to do things right because I I am the sole decision maker, the one that does everything. I would say expert capital though is more of a shell company to where. It is the entity that buys the real estate. Uh, it's not so much of a, hey, we have like a massive portfolio of clients and we're bringing in members and all right. that stuff, right? So it's a it's a different aspect. It's it's Josh buying real estate, but he's doing it under a different name. And then that allows him to pool investment dollars and, and do bigger projects and stuff like that. So I guess, right, at some point it probably could. But I'm, I'm almost so passionate about buying fixing and understanding like visions and developments that I don't know if I would ever really like totally walk away from that and let somebody else do it. That's, that's fun to me looking at something and being like, this is what this could be. Sure. And you have this beautiful vision, right. And then putting it into action and building the teams together and doing it. Um, I could have a director, you know, somebody that does kind of all that coordination and the logistical piece of all bringing all those parties together and lining everything up. Right. But, the big vision piece and seeing the bigger picture and making the relationships with people to be able to put that stuff together. Um, I don't know if I'd ever really like walk away from that. I don't know how you would build it to where you could train somebody. I mean, you definitely could, right? You could definitely bring somebody else in, but that's probably pretty far down the road. Sure. Yeah. I think a company like that's more like a, you have to buy another company that's already doing that. Yeah. So, and I guess one way to, to evaluate expert capital is, so expert capital inside of it, right? So like I said, it's a shell company. So inside of expert capital, are each each piece of real estate is its own entity. Mm-hmm. So I think a good way to measure expert capital is you measure it by looking at each entity that's inside of it. So each piece of real estate that's inside of expert capital. And if you evaluate it that way, then yeah, 100%, right? Because they're all just rental properties. Nobody's doing anything. The work's right. already done. They're just taking rental income and kicking it out to the owners. So you could take that and sell it. You could sell your interest. Like I just... Uh, one of the deals, I just went from one-third ownership to uh, three-quarters ownership. So from 33% to 75%. I just bought out two partners. So I, I took a massive portion of that share because I was like, I want more of this income. Sure. And they were willing to walk away. So I just I bought them out of the deal, which is essentially the same thing as an owner selling and not having to worry about it, right? Yeah. So I think if you evaluate it in that sense, yeah, that's for sure. Like super successful. It's, it's wildly hands-off. You know, it's a purely passive type of portfolio. So right. you just, you buy into the business, kind of like with that 45, I bought into it and then it made me money. Sure. You, you would do the same thing. You're buying into this entity that owns real estate and then it's just sending you your uh, rental income. Huh. Yeah. Very cool. Easy, right? Yeah. Easy. Yeah. That's why everyone does it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's just walking around making money on real estate. No, it is, dude, it is hard though. Like I had, so here's something interesting, right? I'd be curious of what your input is. 
but I think I've I definitely understand why there's like why there's a one percent in the world and why there isn't, and it comes down to the risk thing because I am always trying to bring people in to this like like I'm trying to bring people with me, right? Like sure. I'm trying to like find people that want to come along and, and take them with me. Yeah, and it's hard because not a lot of people want to take the same amount of risk. I just, for example, we just uh, closed on a, another four-unit property uh, a few weeks ago, and I was going to do the whole thing myself, but I was like, okay, if I do this, like, you know, it's all me, and but I'm not really bringing anybody else along, and I really want to, like, show family and friends and stuff that right, they can do yeah. it too, so I'm trying to, like, drag other people up. Well, there's one girl that I know uh, who's been saying that she's super interested, and I brought the opportunity to her. And she has the money for it and all that. And we got to three or four days before closing and she just got cold feet and backed mm. out, you know? So it's like, it's, it's hard because then what happens is I'm building a whole deal behind having this other person as a part of it. And then to have somebody like that walk out at the last second, now I'm scrambling to sure. put something together to continue to pull this off. So it's like, you want to bring people with you, but at the same time, those people can cost you a lot of money if they don't stick with it. So you almost kind of like can't trust bringing family and friends. So you kind of get into this dilemma of following your heart or following your head. And usually, you know, it's like if you follow your heart, you're going to get screwed. And it's happened more than once. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does. It happens more frequently than not. You know, three. I'd say three out of four times, like it does not work out. Huh. And then that one chance, yeah, it is. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I've I've been on the receiving end, you know, of of that. I've had it. I've had to scramble a couple of times, and you know, you always pull it off. You always figure it out. But then you sit back and you ask, you're like, man, was that worth it? Was it <laughs> worth trying to bring her along just to scramble then at the last second and find somebody else that that uh, was just as passionate and willing to take? Because now this person, right? If you're bringing in somebody else to replace this person, now they're taking a last second risk. You're like, hey closing is next week on this day here's the amount do you right. want in you know so now you're asking them to really take a leap with a very little timeline and i mean everybody knows you should not make a rush decision right not usually yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's then you're really asking a lot of somebody so it's uh it really puts you in a tough spot and it kind of defeats the whole purpose of trying to like help other people because now you're just scrambling to pull something off sure. so it's interesting i think you have to I don't know, really pick your, uh, pick the people you keep close to you. Sure. You have a tight circle and, you know, if somebody else earns their spot in your circle, that's great. But other than that, like, you kind of can't ask people to do things. You have to show, they have to show almost that they want to do it. Right. And do what it takes to be a part of it. So if you were looking at it from, you know, purely an altruistic point of view, mm -hmm. like, hey, I have, one way to do it would be you have a deal ready and done. Right, and you can cover a hundred percent of it, mm -hmm. but because you are, you know, so philanthropic by nature that you want to give this opportunity to somebody, it's like I'm, I'm going to pay for this deal to make and make it happen no matter what. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to let you come in on it, even though I did all the work. Mm -hmm. You, if you put in twenty five percent, I'll give you twenty five percent. You don't have to do anything else. Yeah. If you don't want to, don't. I'll cover it. I don't care. But I'm giving you this opportunity. Yeah. Or would you rather have somebody who says to you, "Hey, let's go find a deal. You know, I want to, you know, I want to contribute to this. I want, you know, I have money. I want you to take it. I want you to run with it and build it." Yeah. Um, I mean, w I guess looking at it from those two, which would you rather have? Do you think one would be better than the other? So it's hard, right? Because if you can do something on your own, then why not just do it, right? You're trying right. to be philanthropic, the, but yeah, altruistic. Yeah, but you're but now you're the amount of headache, the pain in the ass, <laughs> yeah. all the bullshit that you're adding to the yeah. table just for a, a person to back out on the last four days, right? Like, it's not worth it. It is not. You do it once and you're like, fucking done with this, right? <laughs> yeah. You're like, sure. I'm not doing that again. So it's it's hard because there has to be some sort of like motivation for you to do it. So this last deal, I I was essentially set to cover a hundred percent. However, if I covered 100% of the thing, it would really put me in a tight spot. It, it would really be, I would be pretty like maxed out where I'm at, right? So that's why I was like, okay, bringing in another person gives me a little bit more peace of mind. That's why I was able to like bring them in and justify it for myself that it was worth it. It was worth the potential headache that could come from this. And when the headache came, 
then I was still like, okay, we're okay. Not too much of a sweat, which is why then I was able to approach a couple of other people and be like, Hey, here's the offer. It's on the table. I'm right now planning on just doing it myself. The current person backed out. If you want to get in, let me know. If not like no sweat, I'm just going to cover it. You know, and I think that helps people because then they're at that point not really making a rush decision. There's no, there's no, right. you know, pressure to decide today that they have to do something. They have, you know, a little bit of lenience, and what you know, one of them ended up jumping on it, so it worked out. But it kind of gets to the point where, like, I mean, if you're gonna go buy, let's say, a, a ten thousand dollar like beater car, mm-hmm. is it really worth the headache of trying to collect five grand from someone else to to come into the deal to work? Like, you're like hey man, it's just not worth it. Like I got it. Like, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there has to be some sort of incentive for you to try and bring somebody else in. There has, you, you almost have to be like extending yourself, right? You have to be trying to do something a little bit outside of your reach, right. like right on that edge, right on that border of what you're capable of doing. So that if it doesn't work out, you can still do it, but uh, it's just, it's probably not the best way to do it. So <laughs> right. It, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like you, you got to have enough incentive for yourself to to want to go through a little bit of the heartache that could come along with bringing a, bringing somebody else along with you. But I don't know. I guess I kind of get to the point now where I'm like I'm very uh, just just focused on hey, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm going. If you want to jump on the train, get on. But I'm not asking you to at this point. Right. You know, it's like if people want to come along in this ride with me. You're more than welcome, but I am not begging people and I'm not asking anybody anymore. You're going to like have to put in the effort and show me that you want to do it now. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. It seems kind of cold. Like, I totally get it. <laughs> no, it definitely yeah, no. does. But you just, I don't know, I guess it gets to the point where you try and you realize that doing it any other way is unsuccessful. Sure. Well, you know, so we have, I have a similar discussion uh, with some friends a little while ago. Um, kind of a friend of a friend or something was dealing with addiction problems and it was, you know, how, how many times can we help this person or offer to help this person uh, before we have to stop doing that? And how do you, how do you stop helping somebody, Mm -hmm. but still, you know, tell them that you love them. Like uh, I'm doing this. I just, I can't open my door to you because I have two kids. Yeah. I cannot let you in here because I just don't trust you. It doesn't mean, and so in a similar parallel, right? It's like, I want to help you. That's 100%. 100% is on the same page. It's the same thing with even relationships, I've noticed. Because like, it got to the point with this last relationship, right? So like, I'm doing my thing in my life. Well, you have boundaries, you have things, right? And that's kind of like with your, with the addiction stuff. I'll I'll try and keep these tied together as closely as I can (laughs) as I go through it. But yeah, so you have boundaries, right? And if your boundaries get crossed, you got to be able to be like, hey, sorry, no. And uh, if you if you don't do that, then it doesn't really work out for the better. So like same thing with relationships. If the person wants to be in the relationship with you, they're going to put the effort in, right? It should be a relationship, a successful relationship, just like a business or partnership or friendship or anything. It should be two people working together to, to improve a situation, right? It should not be one person giving everything they can and the other person taking, right? So, like, with a friendship, if you got somebody coming in, like, hey, I'm going to be hanging out and sleeping on your couch or doing whatever, you're like, dude, I get it, but I just can't let that happen. I just don't feel like, like, it's not going to be a mutual relationship here. You have to show yourself that you are trying to improve your situation. You're trying to get up off your feet. You're trying to do something to like improve your life and not just like mooch off a bunch of people. That's where like, then you kind of get into like the homeless questions and stuff and talking about that. Like, do you give handouts to homeless people? Well, I mean, are you helping them or are you enabling them? You know? And it's, I think that same concept, that same philosophy ties into friendships, relationships, you know, intimate relationships and stuff with, with people. And then businesses, like people have to, I think be able to prove to you that they're trying and they're doing something. And that's when, I think the when you get to that phrase of uh, the teacher presents himself when the student is ready, not the other way around. Okay. Right. So like the student has to do the work to right. show that they're ready for the teacher, and then the teacher like shows up at that time. And that's where you know people with spiritual awakenings and stuff come into right. They get into prison and they go through all this stuff. They're super closed off, and then they get to a point where they break, and they're like, "I I give up. I'm done." And then they're open to a new idea, right? Mm-hmm. They're open to kindness or generosity or working not to do drugs or, you know, rip people off and steal and stuff like that. So, sure. 
you have to have kind of like this personal breakdown. So for you, it was uh, failed relationships. Yeah, yeah, isn't that <laughs> wild? Yeah. Uh, do you think, and so you think probably at least more often than not, it requires some sort of major event, right? To, to I do, yeah, now, I, I do. I wonder. Because uh, think about it, right? If you're doing your, if you got your life living right now, you have very little risk, you have nothing to worry about, whatever. Right. Why are you going to change what you're doing? Right. You're not going I to. No. There's no way to help. right? Like, yeah. Life is great. You're not going to sell everything you have to go try and start some concrete company if you're super passionate yeah. about concrete, right? Like, right. you're just not. You're comfortable where you're at. There's no reason to unless something happens right. to push you into it. Which is why, so, which is why I find it so fascinating that you mentioned earlier that you grew up in a middle-class family. Mm-hmm. And the middle class is the hardest to break out of yeah. mentally. Yeah. Right? I mean, obviously, you know, if you grew up really poor, like, that's, that's a very tough situation to get out of. But mm. you see more people do it because it's like, this is sucks, right? There's nothing <laughs> like, else, yeah. Right, like there's it, nothing to risk, really. Right, you exactly. just go you, for it. There's nothing to lose. You, mm-hmm. it's more like It's really easy to get sucked into it, but it's also a lot easier to just be like, might as well try something different. Right. Um, and then the upper class, right? Like you just, you see, I think the one percenters, like they just see the world differently, right? So they probably yeah, just teach the world a little teach different. Teach your kids yeah. and everything, yeah. So, absolutely. So from the, you know, the, the high end of the economic, socioeconomic scale, Mm-hmm. Right? They're probably brought up to view the world as opportunity. You know, everywhere you see exactly. is opportunity, right? Right. Uh, and whereas you know, on the lowest end, it's like I, almost the exact same thing for the, the opposite reasons. Like yeah. everything's opportunity because nothing could be worse than this. Yep. So to break out of the middle, you have to have something to shake up. Yes. Yes. Yep. You have to because you're so stable, right? You're stable. Like middle class is essentially like a salaried or something that you can do for 40 years. Like it's it's a job or a position to where you're there and there's very little risk that you have to work you might change jobs you go to different places sure. you know or whatever but generally you're you're making around the same amount of money you can generally save 10 15 percent of your paycheck you don't have to worry about paying your mortgage and you know just having a checking account is a pretty standard thing so everything's pretty pretty basic so unless something happens to shake that up right there's no reason to change it Right? Everything's good. You got a good retirement. You know, that's like the focus. Like, are you right. going to be re- able to retire at 59, 60 years old? Oh, cool. Like, I am. So that's the focus. Put enough money away. Sure. You know? And, like, that's that's really where most of the people live. And I think unless you have something to shake you up, yeah, there's no reason to live it, which is why getting out of the middle class, I think, is so hard, like, to try and improve off of that because you kind of have something to lose. When you're poor, you don't. Right? right? The lower end of the scale, you, you don't have anything to lose. So it's like, I opened a checking account and I started saving my paychecks. Now I'm in the middle class. You know, like <laughs> right, it's very right. easy to get out of, and you you can risk you can risk it all because there's not really much to risk. Right. You could take chances on things, and it's like, uh, you know, I lost a couple hundred bucks, but that's just a few weeks' paychecks, and I'm good. So, to risk everything in the middle class, yeah, man, that's like that's a big deal, and I think that's why a lot of people get stuck there. It's because they they just they're like, it's not worth that risk to get out. And I mean, dude, the last. Shit, I've been doing this for, let's say, three years now, I think. was When when did I get out? It's 22, so 20, it's about two years, two and a half years, we'll say. I've been I've been living like this, and, like, it's kind of stressful. I'm sure. not going to lie. Yeah. I am not making the same money I was when I was in the Army, uh, or even when I was at Northwestern, right? I was making far more than I am right now. However, I can kind of start to see now a little bit of, like, if I just keep going, the fruits of this labor is going to be worth it at tenfold. Right. Right, so it's it's going to pay off, and I can see that. But dude, I've been living below minimum wage for the last like probably two years, and that's hard. That's not a risk that a lot of people are willing to take. Right. Now that right doesn't sound fun. No, it's no. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I wouldn't do it. Again. It's stressful. I did it once. Right. I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's stressful, and that's yeah. I think to your point, yeah, absolutely, it's hard to get out of the middle class because of that reason. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting, right? It's yeah. it's. I think when you understand those concepts, you understand those realities that you have to take risk in order to get to the next level. Like if you want to, if you want to become wealthy and you want to really have this like this really cool entrepreneurial lifestyle, to where you can control your schedule, you control your time, you can really decide what you what you want to do, when you want to do it, where you want to do it. If you want to have that like financial freedom, you have to take a risk, and it may cost you a couple of years of you know standing back with your back against the wall and kind of fighting. As hard as you can, but 
dude, if you make it through that, right, and you just you listen to your gut instincts and you do what you're supposed to and you find the mentors that can kind of coach you through these different problems that you have and you listen to people, right, you're not so stuck in your own ego that you ignore people that actually know the right yes, thing. Yes, that's a huge key. Oh, yeah. If you can do that, you're going you're gonna to make it and then you can, you can break through that mold and get through that kind of like threshold you have to break through to get to that like next level of wealth, that financial freedom level. So um, just being able to understand that, stick it out, and then go for it. I don't think a lot of people are willing to do that. I think a lot of people let family get in the way, which is interesting, right? Coming from a guy that doesn't have a family, isn't even like dating anybody. So <laughs> take this with a grain of salt. But I kind of think like I've heard one person say um, that, family should be your reason to do something and to go all out because your kids will look up to you when you're passionate about what you're doing. Sure. And when you wake up every day fired up and you're working hard, you're busting your ass, like they, they find that and they look at that as an example and then you're making a better life for them at the same time, right? There may be hard times and, and stuff, you know, sprinkled in throughout there, but how inspiring for a child to grow up with their dad crushing it and just going after every chance he can to make a good life and then before you know it, you know, like they're living in like a beautiful house, a huge home, you know, like having all the things that he ever wanted for him. It's, I think it's inspiring for it. So I heard somebody say like, my family is the reason I took the leap. And right. I think that's, that's almost how you have to approach it because that's probably like the first step of the mindset, like <laughs> yeah. switch is realizing that it's not, what am I going to lose? But what do I have to gain changing your mindset? And that's probably like the first thing, getting yourself to switch that mindset so you can start looking. Yeah. What can I make out of this? Like, this is going to be sweet. Yeah. So much potential in life. There is. There is. There is. There's so much out there. I had to ask myself that question uh, when I was getting out of the army, right? Because when I got out, I was in a command position. And that's kind of like, that's where you do, you do what your life is like intended for when you're in command. When you're in leadership of soldiers and you command like combat formations, that's why anybody gets in the army or does anything, you know, they, they do it to, to be in that like leadership role of combat. So I got out when I was in command and if I were to stay in, it'd be another seven years at a minimum. So seven, eight years, you know, if you're like kind of quick on the trigger and you get promoted fast and you're ahead of your peers, be about seven years before you'd be back in a command position again, seven years. So you'd have to go by seven years before you do that. And I'm like, what can I accomplish in seven years right. in the civilian world? Yeah. You know, so I kind of like weighed those two options and I'm, I bet on myself. I was like, you know what? I think I can do it. I think I can pull off something pretty sweet. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting that you have that mindset. I think that, I think some people are more predisposed to a mindset like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Why takes, do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, why is anyone, you know, why is, why are people the way they are, right? Like some people are just more driven than others. Some people are more likely to be complacent or not, maybe not even complacent. That's too negative. Comfortable. Like, do you think it's like a background thing, like how they're raised? Do you think it's... I think there's probably a combination of nature and nurture in that, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if I look at, you know, I have two brothers and, you know, we're both, or all three of us are quite different, mm-hmm. right? but we were raised more or less the same. Right. So, you know, the we all have a very certain common threads like if you meet the three of us you're like okay yeah you, you guys are all definitely brothers right you yeah. can tell but also if you watch us individually we are also very different and so there's just life experiences and stuff right, that tie into everything different so yeah i think that some people are more predisposed to that and then even within that even if you are predisposed to say uh to be able to make the switch right to what do i have to gain rather than what can i lose mm-hmm. I, I think it still requires uh the event, the trigger. Yeah. Right. So, like, if you, even if you were the way you are, if you, your first relationship did not fail, right, even with the predispositions that you may have, right, you would, would you still be in the situation that you're in? Probably not. Or right. maybe it would have just taken longer. It would have been some other trigger that happened. Potentially. But, right. Like, so it, mm-hmm. it's still just, and I think that is, I mean, that's what the world sees as luck, right? Like, Right, it's yeah. Like you had the right confluence of events and your own personal nature with just the exact situations. Like, okay, you found, mm-hmm. like, I bought this house because I kind of had something, I needed something, I needed some place, and it just happened to be that you found a passion there. Yep. But that coincided perfectly with, you know, you having the, the trigger event and your predisposition to 
look at the positive side of that, right? Yeah. Or find the positive out of it. So it just, in like, you mix all those things together, and that's luck. And for some people, they find it sooner, and some people, they find it later. Right. Um, Dude, that, that is so, it's enlightening almost when you realize it, right? Because people, you're right, people do call it luck. And it, it kind of is. I mean, you can't yeah. really describe it any other way. It's like, yeah, hey, this, this thing that was super shitty happened. However, like, I was able somehow just to do the right things that got me into the right spot. Right. I mean, I even, it's funny, I think last week I reached out to uh, one of the relationships. It was the, the first one after the divorce. Uh, her name was Ashley. And uh, very, very close with her, right? Very, I, I became very intimate, like, uh, in terms of, like, on an emotional level. It was I've never been with somebody with such, like, emotional intelligence and stuff. And we were able to talk. I actually sent her a message first time probably in, like, two, maybe three years just last week and i was like hey i just want to let you know like the event that like was <laughs> our relationship and everything that came out of that was such a blessing that i know i was pissed and i know i was hurt and all this stuff and i, I don't want you to feel bad or anything because the shift that that breakup gave me expanded my life to everything i have today <laughs> and i'm like i have you to thank for all of that and it was just like kind of like hey i like appreciate you you know, and I don't know if, if everybody can kind of come to that realization, but dude, the sooner you can, like sure, if you can yeah. see those setbacks as actual like shifting moments that put you back on your path, bro, like you start looking like, and now I kind of look at every breakup. I'm like, huh, wonder what's going to happen next. <laughs> like, this is exciting. It's like writing a, it's like Taylor Swift writing an album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I got, uh, it's funny. Cause so this last breakup, first girl I've dated in two and a half years. Long time single, right? Uh -huh. So I uh, was with her for about six months. Awesome girl, Miss Colorado 2021, you know, big into real estate, super successful, all this stuff. Uh, but getting out of that relationship, I'm kind of sitting here and I'm like, what is going to happen now? You know, <laughs> what is the next thing? And, you know, the first thing was I bought a couple partners out of one of the deals. So now I own like a massive stake in this, uh, in this one deal that we have. And then I bought the F45 gyms and I took up a hobby, you know. I took up skydiving. No kidding. Yeah, so I'm going for my solo license. I, no yes. kidding. That's fun. <laughs> Dude, so it's super wild. Got my solo license and my A license that I'm working on. And uh, what a cool passion, you know, just yeah. like the, the people that are in the sport, like the things that you do. I mean, I did it in the military, static line, you know, and like combat jumps and stuff. Totally different than what I'm doing Way now. Different, yeah. But <laughs> it kind of gives you the same kind of initial idea. And it helped me, I think, get started and you know, I've always kind of thought like, oh, that'd be a really cool thing to do. I just never took the leap. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, what a time. Yeah. Here we go. Time. Another breakup. Another breakup. <laughs> another another yeah. new cool thing. Let's do it. So I think just the opportunity that's going to come out of this, I know um, there's just, there's already been a couple people in the skydiving community that are like, hey, you know a lot about real estate can help me. Sure. So yeah. being able to like tie that in, it's just, there's always something that's going to come out of everything that you do. And all those setbacks are really just chances to put yourself back on path and find this cool passion that you weren't really acknowledging before part of yourself, you know, find yeah. that, find that part of yourself and just let it out. Have I ever told you my skydiving story? No. What is it? All right. So I've been skydiving one time and, and you're it, still here. I'm still here. Yeah. So it worked. Yeah, it worked. It, it was <laughs> Something fun. Did. I, I enjoyed it. I, I remember doing it thinking I would do it again, Yeah. but I, I don't know that I would enjoy it enough to do like solo. Okay. Like, it's cool, but uh, that's just me. Tandem's anyway. your world. You like the tandem life. Yeah. Yeah. I just, okay. I mean, I just I wouldn't, I don't, anyway, not important. Um, so the day I went skydiving, my younger brother, he's six years younger than me, so he had just turned 18. Okay. And he wanted to go skydiving for his 18th birthday, so we drive up to Longmont. Uh, so oh, we're yeah. Up, yeah, we're up two hours Out of the blue, yeah. Yeah, north of here. Yep. And my wife at the time is 34 weeks pregnant. For those of you who don't know, 40 is full time, full term, so... Six weeks to go, um, which you know is a decent chunk of time yeah. for me to be a couple hours away. So we do, <laughs> we're up in Longmont. I kid you not. I we land. I check my phone. I text Kara. I said, "Hey, I'm you know we just landed." And she says, "Okay, cool. I'm in the hospital. You should probably oh jeez. You should probably come back now." <laughs> so I'm like, "Are you kidding?" And uh, so she was not kidding. She was not kidding. <laughs> and I get I this is the most theatrical moment of my entire life. We are speeding down I-25, right? We're flying. Mm -hmm. I got ways open. I'm like, there's no cops. Let's go, right? And so yeah. we're, we're flying. 
And my mom uh, was with us at the time, and she was texting her friend, who's a nurse, in at the hospital where Kara was. Yeah. And she had the nurse come meet us at the door. So I hopped out of the car, and she leads me, like, sprinting through the hallways of the hospital. That's awesome. And I, like, they got me scrubbing up, and I'm, like, putting my stuff on, and they opened the OR door, and it was a C-section, and oh, I opened geez. the door, and my wife is on the table, just, like, cut open completely, oh. and just, they're, like, pulling Brooklyn out, uh, like, oh. at that moment, and it's just, like, there's blood everywhere. <laughs> like, Karen's, Oh, my God. It was insane. I've never seen, oh. like, if I watched that in a movie, I'd be like, this movie's stupid. Right? Yeah. Like, it was that traumatic of a time. It was that traumatic of a time. ridiculous. Uh, Dude. So I don't go skydiving anymore because it leads to babies. Yeah. And that's, that's the Babies end of that. and blood. Yeah. 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 Just, just not a series of events you want to deal with again. I understand it was that. An adrenaline packed day. <laughs> Let's just say. I was so tired by the end of the day. I was like, oh gosh. And then my wife was like, yeah, well, I was cut open this morning. So, man. Dude, I, having kids, man, I don't, I would feel so bad. Like, I'm not kidding. I think I would feel really bad. I don't know. If you had kids? Yeah, like if I, so if I had to walk into a situation like that, oh, my yeah. wife is cut up on the side, I'd be like, what did I do? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I'd feel so bad about that, just watching all the pain that she goes through and stuff. Well, she's not. I mean, shut Fucking, thank God, right? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it still hurt, but anyway. Oh. Oh, what an experience. It was. Good. Well, I'm glad it yeah. worked out. Yeah. You didn't die. I didn't so die. Yeah. No, it was, it was good. It was fun. Was like, the event of skydiving enjoyable yeah i would definitely do it again there you go it's cool you should come saturdays saturdays i'm at the drop zones okay. doing a few jumps maybe i will more than welcome to come down sure. jump on some tandems there's always a ton of tandem people like there i'm never you know there's like different groups of people there's your fun jumpers your a licensed guys and then your tandem people okay. so um yeah well if you ever want yeah feel yeah. free to come down it's a cool community of people but yeah dude fucking what a wild what a wild <laughs> it ride wild. right it was Cool. Yeah. Well, I know you have work to do. I do, yeah. I do probably need to get. Yeah, I got work to do. So, yeah, that's a lot of messages you got there on your phone. So, <laughs> um, Josh, it was a great chat with you. Thanks for coming in. Um, owner of co-host, among other things. Yeah. Um, pleasure chatting with you. And you know what the weirdest thing is? I've been doing this now uh, two months. Yeah. Um, I can't figure out how to end these things. Oh. It's so weird. Yeah. Um. I- I mean, when I was doing mine, you could go to listen to some of my old shows, but I always say, like, hey, thanks for coming on. Appreciate your time. Uh, and then there's always, like, a sign-off, right? You always have yeah. a sign-off. I don't have a, I don't have a sign-off or an, ex- an like intro. extra. I have intro. I just don't have extra. Extra. Yeah. yeah. I always come up with something where I'm like, hey, uh, what was it? That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, you come up with some, like, weird tagline. <laughs> yeah. You know, my thing was, um, you know, fulfillment podcast, so I always had, like, the intro thing. I think, honestly, for the ending, I kind of just – the more abrupt you can make it, kind of the better. 